Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. We ask you to thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to see what you'd have us to, to learn. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 55. We'll read the whole psalm again. And we left off on verse 15, so we'll be starting on 16. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Because of the voice of, my, of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of, my, of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would have wandered afar off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go about upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst thereof it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man of mine equal, my guide, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the unto the house of God in company. Let death seize upon him and let them go down quick into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon the Lord, uh, my, upon God, and, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, and there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. He hath put forth his hand against such as be at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth are smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall suffer, never suffer the righteous to be moved, but you, O Lord, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. All right. We left off at verse 15, and, and, and uh, David here has been talking about the deceit of, number one, the enemies, but also the deceitfulness of friends. Most likely he's referring to Saul during this, this time because Saul went after him, and he was a friend at times and, and a counselor, and they went, to, they went to the courts of the temple together and, and, you know, and had a good relationship for a long time until Saul got jealous. And then we look at verse 16. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Even when it seems like everything's going against us, we're having enemies against us, we need to turn to God and let him save us. And, I, and you think about this. He just got talking about how bad the cities are. There's nothing but bad. And his, his mood at this point is very negative. Everything in the city is bad. Everything in the in, in the in the in the community is bad. You know, everybody, you know, people are evil. And besides which, it wasn't even an enemy that came against me. It was my friend. But he, then he goes, "But as for me, I will call upon the Lord." 
And that is good advice for us to do. Anytime we run into any kind of trouble when we th see things going bad and going wrong, we need to have that prayer. But as for me, I will call upon the Lord, and he will save me. Yeah, and this is an important aspect. Because if we try to save ourselves, <laughs> we try to get out of all the trials and the hardships, we're just going to flounder around. We're going to flounder around. And so often, we will try to do it ourselves. You know, and what, what's the old adage, when all else fails, pray? You know, what a terrible thing to be saying, because that is not what God <laughs> desires from us. He, God's answer is, before anything else is tried, pray. Before you sit there and try to do everything of your own, pray. Go out there and seek God first. And you know, it should be the last thing we do because it should be the first thing we do and it is the answer that we're going to have. You know, I love the old adage, uh, something's going to be in the last place you look. Well, that's a very true adage because you're going to stop looking as soon as you find it, so it will be the last place you look. And it could be the first place. It could be the first place, but it's still going to be the last place because when you find it, you stop looking. Oh, that's true. So prayer should be our first activity. When, we get, when we're in anything, our first activity should be prayer to God for guidance, for direction, for help, for refuge. And David has gone through all this trial, and basically he's at the end of his rope, and he says, okay, God, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you, and it should be the first thing that's done. The next verse, 17. Evening and morning, at noon, I will pray and cry aloud. I shall he you and he shall hear my voice. And the Jews basically prayed at least three times a day as part of their ritual. And this verse tells us that this is a Jew writing, writing this uh, verse. And do you understand why we know it's a Jew? David's a Jew. No, just looking at this verse. This verse would, if we had no other way to know, this verse tells you a Jew is writing, the, well, writing evening, this. Evening, evening, evening is the beginning. Evening, of the, morning, and noon. Evening is the beginning, the beginning of the day. I have a question. Is it profitable for men, and well, women it is men, to pray this way? Pray evening, morning, and noon? At the same time every day. I don't know of that because in First Thessalonians we're told pray without ceasing, without yes. end. Keep continually pray, or be in an attitude of pray, and prayer. You can do it. Yeah. Well, the key to key to this is for the Jews. Remember, there's a veil between them and God, so prayer was a ritual activity, just as it is with many religions. It was more ritual for most Jews, mm -hmm. and they they were Jews were required by the law to pray in the morning offering, the evening offering, and they usually would pray at the midday. Okay, so it was just part of ritual. We as Christians have no veil between us and God. We come boldly into the presence of God as a friend, not as a righteous judge and king where there's great ter terror to come before. And this is why it's different for us. For the Jew, there's this, if I haven't got all my sacrifices given and all of this, and I haven't followed all the laws, God was a terror. So it was a practice of a ritual for them. And it's the same way for the, the, the Muslims who pray six times a day and many other religions that they pray 
ritualistic at various times. Uh, now, there are many Christians in many churches that do advocate this. Pray in the morning, pray at night. And we get that, we get that to where we, if you remember the, the bedtime prayers for, for the children, you know, you've got to say the prayers at night before you go to bed. Say your prayers. Yes. And it's probably a good thing to do. I, I think it's good to come to God at bedtime because it focuses you on God rather than the problems of the day and and all of that and your dreams should be able to be on God rather than some wild crazy dream from the pressures of the day uh, so it's, it's kind of important that we do I think it's important that we pray to God and we do take time out uh, I try to always pray in the morning and at night the mm -hmm. prayer in the morning is always longer because at night I'm kind of tired really and it's hard but it but it is important. I mean, if you can do it morning, morning, uh, evening, morning, uh, noon, and night, uh, it would be great. Yeah. Uh, well, to, sometimes, well, sometimes I do like in the afternoon, I live with a one or something. You know. And we are creatures of habit, so it may be that if we say, "I'm going to pray morning, noon, and night," or evening, evening, morning, and noon, as it says here. Uh, it, it would not be a bad habit to get into. Satan is still alive, allowed. Is he in heaven to accuse us? For now. For now? He, get, he gets access to the throne room of heaven, and that's the only part of heaven he has access to is the throne room. Neil, I just said that. Uh, I never thought of that, how it could be six, five o'clock here, but it's the next day of the throne In a lot so, of the world. And if everybody was pregnant, morning? God is omniscient. God, God is omniscient and all powerful. He can hear both. He can hear the prayers and and Satan's accusations. So that wouldn't matter to him. When I first started at the high school, I freaked out. I looked at all these kids that were all taller than me. You know, here I am, five four and a half, and and there I six foot. I'm going, oh Lord, and it didn't stop until I left. <laughs> but but again, we're we're encouraged to pray without ceasing, to always be in an attitude of prayer because God is literally living within us, and it's not like it was for for the the Jews and the other religions where it's just a ritual ritual that they have. It's almost like when we get saved, He puts a microphone in us. Well, because He's living within us. Yeah, he's I living hear within you, us. Verse eighteen. He has delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. And this is, he has, he has saved me, he has redeemed me, he has re ransomed me, my soul, in peace from the battle. And peace here is soundness, complete safety. Um, it is one who does not fear retribution of God. That is what peace is. And I love that definition. One who does not fear the retribution from God. Because that's how we have peace. We have peace that passes understanding because we're not worried about God throwing us into hell or, or, or leaving us because he is in us as Christians. He abides in us. And this is so precious. David is saying, even though there's a battle going against me, and this battle he's talking about is this one here that where he was being chased all over the place. And he says, the battle was going on, and you delivered me, God. You delivered me. And he says, for there were many with me. 
David had his mighty men with him. He says, God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abides of old. And he's saying God's going to hear and protect. Even he who abides of old. I believe here that he's talking about Satan, the one that abides from old. Uh, and this is the key on this. God will hear and afflict them. God afflicts those who oppose us. And this is important for us to understand. We're his children. Any father, any good father is going to defend his children from oppressors. Now, in our world, that gets to be more difficult because of all the crazy laws that we have. But if anybody is going to hurt my family, they're going to have to go through me to hurt my family because I'm going to defend my family. God is no different. His children are going to be defended by him. And he's going to be standing up and saying, you are not going to harm my children. And this is what David's saying. He will afflict. He will... He will respond and he will be a witness against those who come against them. And then he says, Selah, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Why will he come against them? Because they will not change. So often the lost world will not change when, a, when God comes before them. And it is interesting to watch sometimes when they get entrenched. And this, in this day and age, people will not discuss issues. They will not, you know, uh, debate an issue usually. Now, there's still a handful, but for the most part, when they find that their truth does not stand up to facts, they resort to name-calling and, and attacking your personality. Okay, and that's why when we start hearing debates go on about homosexuality, what they'll start, you know, they won't try to debate anything about it. They'll just say, well, you Christians are just haters. You believe that old book. You know, you're not with the times. You're, you're old-fashioned, and they start attacking us, not what is being said. Well, you've got to love them, and you've got to have enough relationship to be able to share the gospel with them. And I've said this before. When I was in, in, in Washington State, I worked at a store that had mostly gay people in it. The thing about it is, I, they knew very clearly, I mean, those who would talk to me about it, you know, they knew very clearly that I was against homosexuality, but they also knew that I treated them just like any other employee in that store, and, you know, and I didn't try to say that their homosexuality was going to affect anything, because that is not our job. Our job is not to judge what they're doing. Right. We want to deal in grace with them. Yeah. And I've said it over and over, if, if a homosexual comes into this church, they are going to be welcomed in this church as long as they're not trying to push their homosexuality on others in the church. To make us accept yeah. it. You know, if they're trying to make us accept it or they're trying to pick people up, yeah. now we're going to have a problem because they're bringing their sin mm -hmm. into the family of God, into the church. And then we're going to say, no, you cannot come in. But I want them in the church as much as possible because I want them to hear the, the word of God. If somebody's committing fornication, living together outside of marriage, I want them in here so they can hear the word of God and possibly get saved. Or at least if they're saved, get convicted enough to correct their lifestyle. Is it just like, when, like in the Bible says that you don't go to a doctor when you're... When you're um you're if okay, you're healthy. When you're healthy, but you go when you're sick. So right. when they come in, they're really sick, and they need. They need, they need the gospel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
but they don't know it. And they don't yeah. know it. But that is any sin. It's not just homosexual. It's any but sin that comes in. You know, any any sinner that comes in here is going to be accepted as long as they're not trying to promote their sin within the church. If they're trying to say you got to accept my sin and say it's good, no, we're not going to go that route. If they're trying to promote their sin by drawing people into it, you know, if there's a drug user in this church and they're listening to the gospel, great. If they're trying to sell drugs or yeah. get people to buy drugs, no, that's not going to happen. But usually, so. usually, maybe I'm wrong, usually over 99% of the homosexuals, they know it's wrong. Don't they? Really? I mean... It's irrelevant, yeah. actually. Okay. I don't care whether they know that homosexuality is a sin or not because there's other sins that they can be convinced of yeah. that they've committed. My goal is not to make them good sinners. My goal is to make them saved and having Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I think it's going to be harder now if this law passed. It's going to be harder on us. We still have to take a stand for God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. it may mean that we lose our church eventually because of taking a stand for God. But we're going to, while I'm pastor, we're going to stand on the word of God. If that means that you know, we lose our church or, they kick, or the church kicked me out because they don't want to take a stand, then I will start doing Bible studies in homes or something. I will study chloride and, and do a true Christian church anyway. But the key is we've got to be able to get people saved because once they're saved, then Jesus can work on their heart yeah, yeah. and change them. I can't change them by just telling them they're, that, the, that this is a sin. And it goes for anything, whether it's uh, fornication, which is really accepted in this country anymore, and that's living together outside of marriage, or e even hooking up, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's accepted to just live together now, that is a sin. And it is a sin that churches have to struggle with. Where do we draw the lines? Because we get so many couples in churches now that are living in fornication, and we've got some right here in this church oh, yeah. that are that way, and I know it. But as long as they're not trying to say, you're going to have to accept this, and I'm not, it's not going to stop me from saying that fornication is a sin. And I can see it on their faces. When I say fornication is a sin, I see the looks on their faces, oh, because they know that it's a sin. But see, I'm so happy that you are the type that will anybody in church, and that will, maybe they'll learn, and they will change. Well, that's the purpose. They, they're, not, me, they're not going to hear it anywhere else. Some churches want, will only allow certain people. Yes. You know, and we don't I want to condone sin. It no. says, let Jesus Christ work on their hearts. Right. Yeah. We're not going to condone their sin, but we will say that Jesus is going to work. That's good. Well, if you want to go abomination, what God hates is gossip, lying lips. Or, oh, you know, so, though, you know, So pretty much when you get into this, it is tough. It is tough to... And it's a tough line. And we've talked often about how hard it is to draw a line between the sin and the sinner. And the world can't draw that line because you are what you do in, in the world's frame of, frame of reference. We know that you're a sinner. No matter what you do, you're a sinner. Yeah. Even we saved individuals are sinners. Yeah, okay, so we as Christians understand we are imperfect sinners because we are fleshly beings. So we have a standard whereby we can separate the person from what they're doing. The world can't do that. And that's why the world doesn't understand that statement. Love the sin, uh, love the, the sinner, but hate the sin. They don't understand that because they do not make a distinction. You know, somebody who steals is a thief, and the thief is a thief, and you can't you can't separate the person from what they do because that's the way the world looks at it. 
And we as Christians say, okay, they're committing the sin of, of, of stealing, but they're still a, a sinner that needs God's grace and love. And Jesus, you're right that Jesus is the greatest example. I mean, he went to the woman at the well with, with yeah. uh, what was it, seven, five, hu- five husbands, and, and now she was living with somebody. Uh, you know, he, he called Levi, of all people, to be an apostle. You know, somebody that's, that was fraternizing with the enemy, cheated and stole from his people by, in his tax collections. Matthew, you mean? Matthew, Matthew yeah. Levi, yeah. Both, both names. God has done this. And this is why it's important. We need to be concerned. Too many Christians want to get sinners good before they'll talk to them, before they'll spend time with them. And that's not what we want. We don't want good sinners because they're still headed to hell. Because that's why Jesus was called a, a wine bibber. Because of who he hung out with. You know, we need people that are saved, convicted by Jesus and God to change their life because they're saved and he will change their life. And so it's important for us as Christians, not that we're going to accept their lifestyle, not, and probably not even that we're going to hang out with them as, our, as best friends. We can't. Because that's not good, but we're going, to, we're going to be friendly with them. We're going to be kind to them. You know, you may even be able to go out to lunch or, or, or play cards or whatever it is you might do with them. But they should not become your best friends because they need to be Christians. They need to be growing in Christ. But it is important that we have that attitude of love, that absolute uh, total acceptance of un, unfailing love for them. And that unfailing love does not mean that we say what you're doing is okay it does not mean that we're going to say yeah you can keep doing that forever because it's okay no it is sin when i when i worked in that restaurant where i had all these homosexual people in there my assistant manager who was a lesbian asked me one day she goes well what do you think about lesbianism and i go you want my personal opinion or my professional opinion right she goes well what's your personal opinion it's a sin i don't want to see it because god says it's a sin she goes, what's your professional opinion? It's a sin. I don't want to see it in my store. You know, but I would have said the same yeah. thing if it was two yeah. heterosexual people yeah. trying to, to fool around in, mm-hmm. in, in, in my store because it was not to be in the store. Yeah. You know, like a woman's husband comes in and yeah. she runs over and grabs him and they start kissing. And so <laughs> but the key was they understood that I knew that it was a sin, I was going to declare it was a sin, but I was still going to treat them just as if they were people and workers. Yeah. I think I've been around it so much that it, it's, it. it's not something that shocks me because I've seen it so much. I know that it's sin, but it doesn't shock me. Having been around that world yeah. closely, uh, it was funny one time at College Park, the pastor there had gone to the high school to do something to be with Salt Club or something, and he saw these two girls hugging and kissing each other, and it just freaked him out. But I had seen it so, I've been around it so much, I've seen, I've seen it in the world so much that, you know, that it doesn't, do I know that it's wrong? Do I, do I like seeing it? No. But I also don't really like seeing two heterosexuals yeah, sitting there, uh, you know, in, in public, you know, you know, with extreme, with extreme, you know, displays of affection. You're trained for one type of ministry. Mm-hmm. And through different experiences and, and, and training. God puts different experiences on each one of you because you're going to have to handle different experiences yeah. in the ministry. Yeah. But when you are in the job and that person came up and asked you that question, me, I'm not called to the ministry. 
but I'm a born-again Christian and I am called to deliver the word whenever he sees fit. And she opened the door for you to do it, but you are called a minister. You were allowed to go through that door in a different capacity than... The answer I gave her, though, was the be one of the best perfect. answers you can give them. But maybe yeah. I, wouldn't have, I would have been too uncomfortable to even... Yeah. God would say, will you clear that garbage out so I can get this through to you? Yeah. I think and he would have me avoiding the question or whatever because he knows I probably couldn't handle it. Yeah. I wouldn't know what to say. And you, the Bible says when you don't know what to say, God will fill, God will fill your mouth. And yeah, yeah. But the key, the key to this is each one of us are gifted to handle a certain mm -hmm. type of yeah. person. I, I have been, I have studied hard and, and intellectually, and I love dealing with people that consider themselves intellectuals. I, I have fun with that. I have fun with the interaction with them. That's uh, his toy he gave you. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a toy. It is a toy for me. It, it's a fun thing for me to do. Yeah. When I was in, in high school in the youth group, I used to play devil's advocate and play the wrong side of most of the issues as they would be discussed on the, in, the, in the groups just to, just to keep things going and see how well... Most of, the, most of the people could defend themselves. And at the end, I'm going, now, let me tell you the right way to handle these, these objections that I brought up. Uh, because they would, they would be absolutely convinced that I was a total lunatic you know, on the wrong side of Christianity. <laughs> but it was fun for me. I, li I, liked that. I liked the intellectual challenge of things. And I love the intellectual challenge of the scriptures. And, and it, it puts me in a unique place. But like, then you say all of that church, African church, like, you need to go out and spread not everybody, like, I can't really do that. I do it my way, like, when they come to my shop, but I can't go out and, you know. But you're doing more than most by doing it at your shop. Mm-hmm. You're doing more spreading of the gospel than most people do because you're talking to people. And your music. Yeah, and your music is, a, is ministering I to people. I don't say, I think, well, I can't go out and you're not, you, but, but you are. You put the record on. You put the phonograph on on the radio station. You did that. And, and you're bringing people to church. You're bringing people yeah. to church. I mean, believe me, you're doing, more, you're doing more than most people out there are doing to share the gospel. Can I share something with her? You're building the church. He's taking care of it when it gets here. But you're the one building it. So why aren't you important and why isn't what you do great? Because God is saying, you know, because you guys know all this, you know. You will be so surprised when you get to heaven and people, you, the seeds that you've planted and the rewards that you'll get for just that simplicity. Believe me, when I first started sharing the gospel, well, actually, I wasn't. I've told people, the first week that I shared the gospel, I filled the Sunday school bus up. <laughs> and people would go, well, how do you get saved? I'd go, I don't know how. And I said a prayer, come to church, they'll tell you how to do it. That was my sharing of the gospel. See, I'm just the opposite. Like when they come to my shop, I'm like, okay, well, I come to church and then when I get out, then I'll have my shop open. But come to church with me, then, then I'll have my, I just close right now, I can go to church. But, but you understand, my, my, my whole message was, how do you, how do you get saved? you, you got to go to save, get, get saved to go to heaven. How do you do it? I go, I don't know. I said a prayer. Come to church and they'll tell you how to do it. That was my understanding of it, you know, at 10 years old. I was excited about God. I wanted them to know about God. And I didn't know a lot. I knew I said a prayer. And I knew that I was a sinner and that they were sinners and that they needed God. But I really didn't know even how to answer them on how to become saved. So I said, just come to church. So I filled the, you know, they got to my stop. And here's 20 people standing at the stop, you know, and get on the church bus. And it's, 
the guy's looking at me like, who are all these people? Like all the friends I invited, you know. So that's why I said a long time ago, maybe I said it wrong, is I got, I got baptized twice. And once in California when I was little, but like you said, maybe I didn't, you know, really understand it. But when I got baptized here, I wanted to make sure because then I really understood it. And that's a good thing to have done. You did. So I said, so I just got to, I wanted, I wanted to make sure, you know, yeah. that I did it right. And now I know I did it right, but the first time, but I always remember one thing, the thief on the cross with Jesus. The what? The thief on the oh, cross yeah, yeah. beside Jesus. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He didn't get baptized. Yeah. Yeah, but he got saved. But he definitely yeah, but got, he got saved. saved. And Jesus said and Jesus said it. He, the guy didn't believe it in faith. Yeah. Jesus told him, today, right now, today, you will be with me in paradise. Yep. So but it it is, I just want to, what I'm trying to encourage people is to open their mouths and talk about Jesus because the gospel is an easy message. We're sinners, we need Jesus, we're headed for hell and we need Jesus. You know, like yeah. last week to take the, after last week when my friends were over, then we were at yesterday's, and first hit, kind of, you know, they were there and we were having lunch and they were singing amazing, great, pretty, you know, loud, you know, they have a good voice. And it was, and plus that was karaoke kind of that day. But it was really so I just kind of looked, you know, at first I kind of said, you know, this is great. At first I kind of, kind of like, you know, like, but no, it was really me, you know. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel good, like, okay, good, I'm glad, you know. And I want them to think that I can't sing real good, you know, but, but it was me. But each one of us have a, have a way to talk to people and people that we can share with. There are people out there that I could never share the gospel with because they're going to look at me and, and, and how I present it and go, yeah. you know, well, you got to be smart to, to, to follow yeah. Jesus, you know. So there are going to be some people that I would never be able to reach because they're just going to look at me and say, you know, this is way over our head, even when I think that I've simplified it as low as it possibly can be. And I can reach people that are intellectual that others would never even be able to talk to because the moment they open their mouth, they're going to go, oh, you don't know anything. And, you know, so we each have people that we can reach that maybe nobody else will be able to reach. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got individuals that we know that know us that will listen to us where they wouldn't listen to somebody else because they know us. You know, and this is the key. We don't know who it is that we could reach. Mm -hmm. All we know is that Jesus commanded us, go, mm -hmm. teach. And that means some people are going to teach better than others. Some are going to be softer. Uh, and there's some people who need that. Each, each student has a different need of a teacher as well. And this is why you could have two students in a classroom. One's responding real well to this teacher, and the other one's like, I don't understand this teacher at all. They go to the next class, and it's totally reversed because they've, they like whatever style that teacher's using, and every teacher has a different style. Uh, and this is important for us to understand. We have gifts and talents that nobody, each one of us, every one of us, has gifts and talents that are unique to ourselves, that are designed to reach unique people in our life or that we're going to come across. And so it's important. And we never know what seeds we're planting. Sometimes it may be simply that I've lived a life that somebody's noticed. Mm -hmm. I made a decision that somebody noticed. Uh, we were watching God's Not Dead the other the other day. We're going to watch it at the end of the end of, end of the month here, but the the main character and his girlfriend are arguing in the cafeteria, and he's saying, "I've got to stand up for God," and his girlfriend is pushing him not to. But his cafeteria workers listening to them, mm -hmm. 
okay? And she's witnessed to by, jo you know, by Josh's attitude, even though he knows nothing about <laughs> what's going on with her, with her behind. Okay, at the end of the movie, he, you know, it gets revealed and we see it. But you have to understand, you may do something that is a great witness to somebody, you don't even know you've done it. You may say something that's a great witness to somebody and you're not even talking to them, but they're overhearing you and it's going to touch them in a great way and they're going to be, it's the seed that's planted. We're going to get to heaven and find how many seeds that are planted. And, and I've shared with you all a, an example. And this isn't to puff it up or anything, but I have gout real bad, as everybody knows. And I, there was about a six-month period that I was on crutches and I was in pain 24 hours a day with my gout. But I still went to church. I still did my teaching. I still, you know, wandered around the church and did everything I, I normally did. And later on, after the gout pain came on, this one person come up and they go, you really inspired me because you came to church in pain. And now that I'm having and, you know, so many pains as, as, as this older person talked talk to me, I'm challenged to come to church because I can see how much you were in pain. Now, was I doing it to try to be an example to everybody? No, I was just doing it because God said, go to church, do what you're supposed to do. And I wasn't doing it to be an example. I wasn't doing it to inspire anybody. But God used, but it. God used it to do, and who knows who else was inspired. This person just happened to say it. Just like my thumb. It's been over a month, and I, hit, I took a big chunk of it, a big chunk out, all the way to my bone. Look at it now. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. So the encouragement for us is we need to live a life that's exciting with God and, and zealous for God so that people will grow. And, and when we get to heaven, who knows the rewards we're going to have in heaven just because we lived for God. Just because we spoke with somebody and somebody else kindly and somebody else was listening and it was a seed planted. You know, why is this person different? Uh, the song I like on, on, uh, is Thank You, and it's, you know, I dreamed I went to heaven, you were there with me, and it's all about people coming up to this guy's pastor and just saying thank you, you know, for the little things he did, not, not even big, you know, things. We keep getting in this mindset that whatever I do to witness, whatever I do to share with God has to be this great big, you know, thing. We are going to be so shocked when we get to heaven and people are saying thank you because I came to Christ because of the little kindness you showed. And it might not even been to them. It could have been them just watching us being kind to somebody who didn't deserve it. Uh, you know, one of the things that when I used to work, you know, and this customer would come up and they'd just rip you one side, up down one side, the other, and, and you had to be kind to them because you had to be professional in the, in, in the corporate world. And I'd have customers coming up Man, I'm, I, I don't know how you did that. I would have just torn them apart and gone, well, because it's not really that big a deal when, when all things, you know, all things concerned. I go, we didn't, you know, I tried to help them and couldn't, but this is the way it is. And the people would come up because they would see that kindness, the love coming through. When we get to heaven, who knows how many people are going to come up to you and say, I watched you show God's love to this person or in this area. I saw you your patience that it obviously was godly and doesn't you know hopefully they don't look too hard at us when we do the wrong things but 
you know, there's a lot of little things that we're going to do that are going to really touch people's lives. And we're not aware of all of those. And God gives us glimpses every once in a while when somebody will come up and say, thank you for this or that that you did. It really touched me. Or it brought me to God. And every once in a while you'll have that testimony. But, and I think God uses it to encourage us. But the great news is when we get to heaven, the seeds we planted are going to be revealed and we're going to be rewarded for those little things. And God says, despise not the day of small beginnings because we don't know. We don't know how important it is to do the little things. If we always try to do big things, they're great, they're fun, they're exciting, but they don't usually get back, you know, they're also usually depressing because they don't get back the results that you really hoped for. You do a big revival and nobody comes forward or very few people come forward. We do the, we do the parade where we pass out the, the Bibles and the tracts. You know, we don't know for sure that we've touched anybody in that parade because nobody has contacted us once. Now, do I believe we've touched and planted seeds? Or we've planted a couple hundred seeds because of how many bags we've passed out. You know, the first year, 300 bags. The second year, 400 bags. We've at least passed out, you know, have a potential of 700 seeds being planted out there. Has anybody told us they responded? No. What is in there for heaven? We'll find out. Because it's just... A, you know, but that's a big thing that we do and you would expect, oh, we, you know, we should be getting all these people. We passed out all these bags. There should be all kinds of response. Who knows what the response is? We don't know. But sometimes these little things we do are going to have a greater response in, our, in, in heaven than all the big things we do. That was like was probably about five years ago. I would, went to my sister's out in California or maybe longer than that. And she always did yard sales. So this one place had all of this Bible study stuff, you know, and she did free. So I said, well, you know what, I'll take it. I don't, I don't know if I gave you guys any, but anyway, I had two big boxes of it. It's for, like, to start a Bible study or something. And then you know, about a year after I had it, I still had it, I had this, I could always start talking to the customers and say, oh, we're going to be having this. I said, they're going to be starting a new Bible class. I said, I have something just for you. So I gave her all of that stuff. And they really want because they couldn't afford buying all of them. And so I think, well, I forget where they were at, too, but they took it all. I have something for you at my house. I need to get up to church to tell you about it. Okay. All right, verse 20. He has put forth his hands against such as be his peace with him. He has broken his covenant. His word is, uh, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Think about this. Have you ever met people like this? I, ho uh, I have. Hopefully you don't spend a lot of time with them, but you know, you know, they, they, they're, they're putting forth their hands against those that are at peace. They're, They've broken their covenants, they're liars, they're cheats, they're, they take advantage of people. Their words are smooth as butter. You know, those are hard people to talk to sometimes because they sound so good, they sound like so artist. smooth. Con artists, uh, people who are just able to lie right straight to your face without, without stuttering, without having any guilt. But war was in his heart. His words were like drawn swords. Kind of like Saul said in there, oh, thank you, son. That soothed my head. I feel so much better. David says, you're welcome. He gets up to leave, and Saul throws the sword. 
the spirit at him. How do you trust somebody like that? It's hard. You can't. Because Saul was really and truly sincere when he said what he did, and he was just as sincere when he threw the spear. Yeah, Saul, Saul had lots of problems with his jealousy and his temper, and and uh, but this is a key that we're looking at. You know, people, especially the world, can easily lie. Especially now, it's so. It's because in this day and age, there's no right or wrong necessarily in their minds. So they're saying, I can tell you whatever I want and it's not a problem. I can manipulate you. It's like telemarketers. And they're following their scripts and yeah. stuff. And, uh, but it's so much that people will do and say and cheat people and not seem to have a problem with it, one. And it's a scary world that we're living in. It's a scary world because they're turned away from God when we see it in the scriptures all over the place. Judges, first, first and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, all about how they would come up, the leader would be bad, the people would go bad, and God would bring them into a judgment. And we're in we're in that cycle right now. Right now in, in our country and the world, we are on the cusp of judgment. We have a decision. We either repent and turn back to God or we get judged. Unfortunately, I think we're going to be judged. I don't, I don't expect repentance worldwide. There will be pockets. There will be revivals in you know, certain areas. But there's not going to be a worldwide uh, uh, repentance, I don't expect. Because Israel has been made a nation and, and it said that this generation shall not pass before the end. All right, our last two verses that we're going to go into. You already read one of them. <laughs> Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. I love that. Mm -hmm. Cast your burden. Oops, Cast your burden. Cast your fears on the Lord, and he shall sustain, which literally means nourish, protect, you know, keep you. And he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And this moving is tottering and shaking. So, you know, he's not even going to let us be moved, but he's also not going to let us be shaken. You know, this is important for us. God's defense, if we want to hide in him and let him be our defense, we have nothing to fear. Nothing. Because he is the defender. He is the strong tower. And, and we have problems understanding that you know, because we don't really understand the value of the strong tower. You had the cities with towers on the corners, but the strong tower they're referring to is out away from the city. If you were far enough away from the city that you couldn't run and get to the city, they'd build this tower in the middle of the field where you would be working. The enemy came in and you made a decision, can I make it to the city before the enemy gets here, or do I go to the tower? And you ran to the tower, which was closer than the city. And the tower would have provisions and water in it. And the door was closed, and it was a strong defense against the enemy. And you'd put the bar across the door, and, and you would be safe because you were in the strong tower of defense. The enemy, the marauding enemy couldn't take it. Wow. Okay? This is the power of the strong tower that they talk about. You had fortresses and then you had towers, and the towers were scattered all over the countryside as a defensible place for you to run to when the enemy came upon you. That's the tower. That's who God says. When he says, 
Our God is a strong tower. That's what he's referring to. Oh, I thought you said fortress of defense. Well, fortress. Well, you have fortresses. Fortresses of defense had the walls around them, and they were cities. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were cities. They were the they were the stronger. I mean, if you could get to the the fortress, you were better off, or the city walled city, you were better off than the fort, the strong tower. But the strong tower was defensible. It only had one door, and the windows were really high windows that they they had to build ladders and stuff to be able to get to. Plus, they were little tiny narrow slots that you could shoot an arrow out of, or stab a spear out of, but not get through. So they had to get all the way to the top of the tower to come in, and a marauding troop didn't have the equipment to get to the top of the tower. And it was easier to get that arrow or spear out of that slot than for them to get in. in. So this is, this is the power. When you read about God being our strong tower, he's that defense right there. You know, in New Testament terms, he lives within us. I love to give the example. When, some, when Satan comes knocking on the door of your heart, let Jesus go answer it. Amen. <laughs> Let Jesus go answer the door. Hi, what do you want? Uh, nothing. You beat me with a big ugly stick. I'm leaving. Yeah, that's that. But if we want to go answer the door, he'll let us answer the door. And Satan's not afraid of us. You know, but he lives in us. He's willing to go answer that door and say, uh, what do you want? So it's important. Jesus is still our tower. He's our strength. He's our defense. But now he lives within us. And we talk about this, this, uh, the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, of the preparation of the gospel, the, the girdle of truth, the sword of the spirit. Do you realize that every part of the armor of God is Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ. He is our protection. He is our armor. He is the one that protects us from any attack of, from Satan. He is still our strong tower, our defense, our refuge, our salvation. The New Testament just describes it as armor and not as a fortress. Same thing. Same thing. So we look at this. It says, verse 23, But you, O God shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Bloody and deceitful men will not live out half their days. Sometimes we look at the rich and the powerful and say, man, they just live in, live in forever. They're living a long time. Maybe they're not living near as long as they should have lived if they had treated people correctly. They're paying for, their, they're paying for what it is and they're dying early. But even beyond that, they head to hell where there'll be eternal death. They're not going to live for eternity with, with God. So they've definitely not lived half their days in the, in no matter what. God is the defender. And I can't, you know, I can't strike, stress how much this is. When you let God be your defense, you will watch him take your enemy's legs right out from under them. I've seen it over and over and over again because I tend to let God be my defense and I've watched him take the legs out of enemies over and over again. And I've shared with you, I don't take pleasure when he does because God, when he moves against somebody, moves against them and he takes them out more than I would have ever wanted to see happen, but God knows what they need to bring them to him. And we should have pity on our, those who have, you know, are, are 
coming against us. We need to pray for them because we don't want to see God move against them. We want to see him move with his mercy and his grace and, and have them come to God because if they don't, God will, will do horrendous things to them. I've seen it happen more than once. People losing their businesses, losing their families, losing their health, losing their lives because of how they come against God's people. And you watch it and you go, oh man, God, can you show them mercy? And it's too late once God starts to move, unless they come to him, he's going to take them out. And if things still happen and they still don't, because I had that experience a couple of times, and they're still doing this. They're still going to pay in the long run. They're going to pay in the long run because they're going to pay eternally if they don't turn around. And if it's a Christian who's coming against God's people, that's even worse because they're going to really be pressed because they shouldn't be coming against God's people. David said over and over, I will not touch God's anointed. Here's a man trying to kill him. David's been anointed king by the prophet, and yet he will not lift his hand against God's anointed man, even though that man's trying to kill him, even though that man's basically crazy. He will not lift his hand, and he had more than one opportunity to lift his hand against God's anointed. You read in Jude where Satan and Michael are fighting over the body of Moses. Michael is now the archangel. He's the one that's in charge of the angels as far as we understand. But when he was talking to Lucifer, he said, not you're rebuked, but the Lord rebuke you because Satan was above him in the beginning. And until Satan is totally judged and sent into hell, even Michael wouldn't touch the anointed cherub. He used God's command because he was commanded by God to do something. But it's very important. God is very serious about authority. And if you go against authority that God has placed in there, you're in a dangerous place to be. Whether it's a boss at work or the government or or the pastor, or a husband, or you know, whatever it might be, God says they're in charge. They're, they have an accountability. We're to be submitted. If we step out from the umbrella of submission, we put ourselves in a dangerous place. As long as we're under submission, we're protected by that submission. Now, that doesn't mean we go and do sinful things because of, we're submitted. No. At that point, it says we ought also to obey God rather than man. And, but as I've said, when we step out from the submission position, we need to be ready for what comes. When the apostles said we need to obey God rather than man, they knew that they would probably be beat and sent into prison. And they submitted to the punishment for disobeying the human laws. We are very close to being in a position where we may have to make choices to obey God rather than man. And when we do... We, we must be ready for the punishment that will come because the government is ordained by God to set the rules. And even if they set ungodly rules, we need to be ready to be submitted to their, their discipline. Now, they will answer to God for their discipline, just as the Sanhedrin and the Jews and, you know, and Pilate and all these people that have made bad decisions as government... They're going to be accountable for their bad decisions and their wrong laws. But we need to be submitted. 
And that may mean we'll be imprisoned or fined or whatever else is involved in all of this by being looking and saying, I've got to obey God rather than man. And this is coming. It's coming. Uh, I, I've said this already. I will be extremely surprised if the Supreme Court doesn't come back that, that gay marriage is, is the law of the land. Okay? It's going to surprise me if they, if they come back with a decision that marriage is outside of their realm of authority. Uh, would I like them to come up with the right decision that gay marriage is outside of their realm of authority? Yes. Will I be a surprised, you know, completely surprised if they do? I will be because I know where the world is headed. We are at the end times. I always take the long shot. I, <laughs> I, I always take the long shot. Yes, it's not going to pass. Would I love it? Yes. It, it, Do it, I expect it? <laughs> you know, that would be an odds that I would never, I would never bet on those odds. Is how the odds are so high. I would never I make a bet on those odds. I, would I love that to be the case? Yes, I would love them to be a, make a godly decision. I pray for the Supreme Court that, God, that they'll make a godly decision. There's two justices, though, that are already, you know, at least two that are completely on the side of homosexual marriage and should have recu recused themselves because they've already made up their mind. Longshot never you know. liked to work at Santa Anita Racetrack, and the Longshot didn't work too good. <laughs> but uh, we, as a, as a people of God, need to be ready to know that we're going to have to make some really hard decisions for him. And it may cost a lot of our freedoms. But we need to be ready. We need to get ourselves mentally ready. And that's one of the reasons I'm teaching this stuff is that we need to be ready to make the decisions for God. Because it's going to be hard. It will be hard. And I've shared many times, as a teenager, I fully expected that I was going to go to jail for my Christianity. And I never expected to be in Russia or China or, or any of these places where it's against the law. And when I was a teenager, it made no sense for me to feel that way. Now I look at this world and say, I'm a pastor standing up for God's word and his righteousness. I can see myself going to jail because of where I stand for, on God. You know, but I've always believed it. 40 years ago, I was believing that I would be in jail for my Christianity. And I can see how that can happen now, that I could end up going to jail because of my Christian stands and end up having to preach the gospel in the jail. Because I will be like Pastor Sayad, I will not stop preaching the gospel. I will not stop teaching God's word. Even if they put me in jail, they're going to have somebody that's preaching the gospel that they don't want in jail. Because it's not going to stop. I can't See, stop. That's what I'm going to do. I don't know. I'm sure you noticed the fans coming into Florida. Hmm? I'm sure you noticed the fans coming into yeah. Florida. Well, I am going to be, because like, I'm sure you noticed at Christmas time, I was going to marry Christmas. But I, I do want to put, because that's world, when we hit the meeting, that stands is worldwide now. It's all over. And I do want to put, because I have that in my house, I want to put, not real big signs, but big enough. I'm going to put, God bless America and God bless you. Yeah. I'm going to put in old-timey way to match in with the stuff. And so then when they have the picture, they'll see that. And I figure that's one good way to spread the gospel, too. It's a way to do it. But we, we as a God's people need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for the, the harshness of what's going to come for us because this is going to cleanse. What's coming is going to cleanse the church. There are a lot of people that go to churches and say they're Christians that don't believe. It's just an okay thing to be a Christian and you know, I'm not going to go to jail for, for saying I'm a Christian. 
as this world gets worse and worse and Christians become considered more intolerant, we're going to see a lot of people pulling from the church because they're going to go, oh, it's not worth being associated with these guys. I just, I just don't believe. And the church will be purified from this. But the greatness of the purification is that people will be able to preach the gospel because of it. Because those who are part of the church are going to be purified and they're going to stand out. But either way, it's so neat for you guys, me, I mean, I've always been, but the more I'm learning now, the more I'm so excited and happy. And even if the world gets worse, you know, it's like, it's like you say, building building me stronger. Yes. It really is. And I think, look at these people, what they're missing. Yeah. What they are missing in their life, right? Yeah. Really. Yeah. And we need to be prepared because if we are truly in the end days, and I really believe that we are at the end days. Now, I could be wrong, but it doesn't matter because if we're living like we're in the end days, that's good anyway. And if we're really in the end days, we want to be prepared for it. Because the last thing we want to do is wake up one morning and find all our freedoms gone and be surprised. We need to be prepared for the hardship that's coming. We need to be prepared for the return of Christ. He's coming back, and he's coming back soon. And this world is going to enter into the seven years of tribulation that's coming, where God is trying to get their attention and bring them back to him. And we'll be gone. We'll be celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb with with Jesus Christ for seven years, and then coming back to reign victoriously. That could be at any time. That can be at any time, and we need to be prepared. This world is getting very much like the days of Noah. Evil abounds all over the world. We've seen evil abounding in various countries and everything, but never has it been like it is now where every place is the same. And, and the handful of places that aren't, that they're standing up are being pressed hard by the rest of the world to conform to their way of thinking. We're so close, the, 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 the doom is coming. And it says in the scriptures that in the days of Noah, people were going about marrying and partying and, and having a great old time, and the rain started coming. We're going to see the same thing happening when Jesus raptures his church out of here. It's going to be business as usual, and then all of a sudden, millions or billions of people are going to disappear from this world. And then all hell breaks loose on this world. And the purpose of it is to bring people to God. It's like, I don't know if it's true or not, because sometimes on the internet you can't tell what really is true, but they just had this thing on Facebook that was really neat, and I don't know, it's something about the um, immigration, I mean, the, the border crossing, and New Mexico, they found this huge crack all the way down past the road, I mean, huge, and they said, this is God's work. Mm. I'm, so, I mean, just the way, but his hand yeah. how it out, and they said, this is better than any, you cannot cross it. it is, it's a thing, so I don't know if it's really true or not. Uh, you know, a lot of times there's... there's take that kind of stuff with a grain of salt. I know, that's what I mean, you know, but they had the, yeah. um, the air pictures that, that, uh, from the... It's pretty easy to Photoshop all that stuff, though, so oh. it's... Wow. And that's why you got to be careful anytime you see anything on the internet because most of it is most of those pictures are photoshopped and fake. So it's so that's what I mean. The internet sometimes that's the worst thing to do. Yeah. You know. It's, it's a great it's a great source of information and it's also a terrible source of information. Yeah. It's so all right. Let's close in prayer. 
Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you, Lord. We thank you that you're our tower, you're our strength. Lord, when everything goes wrong and all and everything is looking so bad and the world is coming against us, you're our strength, you're our protection. You, you will give us the ability to, to speak for you. You will give us the, the grace to die for you if that's what you had for us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.